0: <clears throat> so Father, we are. We want to be a gracious and thankful people, and we just uh, want to recognize that you are God and we are not. And as much as we work, as much as we try to <clears throat> change our environment or what we want to do, or we're going to go here, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, really you are fully in charge. And we need to recognize that, that you have only our good in mind, although sometimes it doesn't look like it. But Father, we want to. We want to thank you that you are in charge, that you are sovereign. And if we have any unconfessed sin, Father, we want to bring that before the throne of grace. We want to have pure hearts and pure minds as we come to worship you. Father, we, we are grateful that you are a forgiving God, that you know our sins even before we speak them. And you are ready, willing, and able to forgive us of our sins. And for that, we thank you. Father, we want to bring before you some concerns for the church. We, you have, As we have mentioned earlier, you have blessed us with health. No one that I know of has gotten sick with COVID or anything else. So you have allowed our congregation to remain healthy, and we're thankful for that. And you've allowed little Barrett to get out of the hospital, and we're thankful for that as well. And Father, as Larry is going to be traveling to Seattle and he's going to be having his infusion with Jenny, we pray that this infusion would work and that you would protect Larry as his immune system is compromised, that until he regains some uh, immunity that he would be free from disease and that you'd allow him to uh, be in his his place, his residence and be protected, that he would not fall uh, to some of the the viruses and the colds and the flu and other things that are floating around that you would just keep him in your care. Father, we want to also come before you and, and be thankful for last week Lots and lots of people were in town, lots of protesters and people on the other side of the fence. And actually, it turned out very well. Uh, So for this, we are grateful. There was uh, certainly a possibility for things to go sideways. But in your grace, you allowed things to go well. And it seemed that Lyndon had had a good reputation when it was all gun, but even more so, your name had a good reputation. And we're just thankful for that. We're just grateful that things went well. And as we open up your word this morning, Father, we just pray that uh, if it needs to pierce our heart so that we change, that it would do that. If our hearts are clean, we want to be grateful and thank you that, that you have done this for us, and that through it all we would learn more about the Savior and for your graciousness to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen you don't up your Bibles, it's going to be a very short little passage. It's going to be a continuation of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and now we're getting to the uh, chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Small little phrase there, and we will continue uh, in a couple of weeks with the, the last portion of the Lord's Prayer, But I want to begin this morning by saying there's a guy who used to pastor a church in London, England, Uh, John Stott, you've probably heard of him. He's one of these really important guys who's now dead. He wrote lots of books, very insightful guy. He was at All Souls Church in London, and he quotes the head of a large English medical hospital as having said this. I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. There was another Christian psychiatrist that was queried and he said, in addition to this, he says, as far as I am concerned, most of what a psychiatrist does is directly related to forgiveness. People come in to me with a problem. They feel guilty about their part in the problem and they are seeking forgiveness. And in effect, they confess their sins to the counselor and find that he forgives them. And then the people feel better, and they go out and about with their life. That is the observation of two people regarding their profession. One was a Christian psychiatrist, one was the head of a mental institution. And that was their words regarding what forgiveness looks like. As you can see in your bulletin, there's a rather lengthy outline, and Jenny is is being gracious with me and trying to fit this all in here. It's kind of an ongoing joke, and I'm trying to cut it down, but you certainly wouldn't think so, would you? So the real important part of this message is to really get a grasp and understand the different types of forgiveness, because if you read scripture and you're not understanding which particular type of forgiveness you're looking at, it can be very, very confusing. And you're going to wonder, what in the world is Scripture trying to say here? The the, the first type of forgiveness is forgiveness to salvation. The theological word for that is justification, is you are justified before the throne of God. So when you look at forgiveness and what Scripture says about forgiveness, the first question is, is this an unsaved person that is receiving Christ as their Savior and they are now saved. Justification is the theological word associated with this, and justification is God's righteous act of removing the guilt and penalty and declaring the ungodly person to be righteous. That is, essentially, you've seen the picture where a person is, is dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins, and when they, when they come to Jesus Christ for salvation, Christ cleanses them, makes them white as snow, takes all their sin away, and makes them clean. That is justification. The Lord's Prayer is not talking about justification. It is talking about the second type of forgiveness. And the second type of forgiveness is a daily or a regular confession of sin To maintain a relationship with God. So they have the one hand is justification, save for salvation, the other one is just repentance on a regular basis so that we can maintain a good relationship with God, because if you don't have regular confession, sin separates you from God. So when you're talking, such as the Lord's Prayer, which one of these is it? Well, it's the latter. It's maintaining a daily relationship with God. That is the type of forgiveness that we're being, that's being talked about here. So, next part is, what is forgiveness? What does it look like? What is it? What is it not? It is not icing on the cake for a Christian. It's not just some little thing, a cherry on the top that we just add. It is a central part of our walk with our Savior and there is another dead guy who had a lot of things to say regarding the Christian walk. His name was Tom Watson. Died about 300 years ago, and he nailed it on a whole lot of theological issues, and forgiveness was one of those things that he nailed it on. And there's, there's, I want to address the outline. I wanted, I kind of talked this over with Jenny, and I wanted to have the information on here so you can more just listen and not have to fill in the blank. So that's why I put, what is forgiveness and when do we need to forgive others? And so I put the quote in here so you could just listen instead of trying to get all this information down. And then you see the seven points after that, I wanted you to get it. So we just wrote it down for you so you could just kind of pay attention to what's being said. And then if you want to go back and look at it, you certainly can. But Tom Watson says, when do we forgive others? And he writes this, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemy mischief, but wish them well, when we grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them, the seven points addresses each one of the statements in that statement of what is forgiveness. So, and I'm not going to belabor these points, but I did want to have, have them written out with a Bible verse next to it that actually explains it. So the first one is we are to resist evil or re- resist thoughts of revenge. And Romans 12 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but re- leave room for the wrath of God. For it is writ- re- written, Revenge is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The second point is not returning evil for evil. First Thessalonians speaks to this, says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil. The third one is, Wish well to them. And the scripture says, Bless those who curse you. Grieve at their calamities. Proverbs 24 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. The fifth one is, pray for them. And Matthew 5 writes, But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Two more. Seek reconciliation with them, and be ready always to come to their relief. Those are the each one of the the statements that Tom Watson makes is backed up by scripture regarding forgiving others or how we should treat others. Now, that is what forgiveness is, but in just a second we're going to be talking about what forgiveness is not. And I get I've told you in the past, you know, having been a police officer, some habits die hard. And I don't know, I just keep certain records, and I don't know why I do. Maybe it's just to keep my sanity. But I talked, I had a a message on forgiveness 51 weeks ago. So I figured it was long enough, maybe we could have a rehearsal of some of the stuff, because that's kind of what that message was about, It's with David. And it was was a a message on forgiveness. In fact, it was a two-part message on forgiveness. And I'm going to be giving some different aspects of forgiveness than I did almost a year ago. So the first one is, what forgiveness is not. Notice what is not there in the definition. And the first one is, forgiveness is not the absence of anger. We're we're talking about one side of the coin regarding anger. Here later on in the message, I'm going to talk about the other side. But for now, just humor me and go along with it, because there are two sides to this. The first one is, the ab- there is not the absence of anger. It is not feeling good about what was bad. It's not feeling good about what was bad. This can be limited only by our imagination. You are probably all aware of a man or a woman. They've had a divorce, and one of them really got taken to the cleaners. And it was unjust. Or you had some, so there, were, there was money involved and somebody just had it all taken. Or you could have theft or fire, or there can be some injustice and it really ticks you off what happened. And I don't want to get into your, into your business, but I'll bet you all of you can remember something like that where you go, yeah, that was pretty bad. Or I know somebody who went through this and it was pretty bad. Okay, forgiveness is not the absence of anger. It is not realizing that... It, 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 you can still realize that was unjust. It was unfair. It was Everything about it was wrong. It's recognizing in the phrases, it's not feeling good about what was bad. There was once a, a person that had a, a divorce and it went badly. And there was a lot of thought of this. And when she came to have communion, all that anger came back on her, and she felt like, well, I can't take communion because my attitude is such and such. Now, I'm not going to say her attitude shouldn't have been corrected, but there is forgiveness does not mean that they're recognizing that things were bad. And you have to have an attitude where you put it before the throne of grace, and that doesn't mean that suddenly the events that transpired are now good, because they're not good. They're still bad but it's having an attitude change on how you're gonna be handling that. So first of all, forgiveness is not the absence of anger. Second of all, forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. You have heard me say in the, in the past that sin causes a series of unintended consequences. So you can have forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that the consequences of that sin don't continue to roll in. You could say, is sending a person to jail, does that mean that they are unforgiven? No, it does not. You can forgive someone and they still go to jail. That is the consequences of sin. You can forgive someone and still hate what they did whether it was spousal abuse or kid abuse What if you have a family member that is killed by a drunk driver? Can you forgive that drunk driver but yet his life or her life is still ruined as well? And it happens all the time. Tom Watson is again helpful on this point and he says, is God angry with his pardoned ones? Is God angry with his forgiven ones? Well, Hebrews 12 says, Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Forgiveness creates a restored relationship. Remember, we started out what... What is what is it we're talking about? Are we talking about forgiveness to salvation, or are we talking about forgiveness to restore a relationship? And the Hebrews passage is talking about the restoration of a relationship. The Father chastises those whom he loves, he disciplines those that have sinned, even though they are not losing their salvation. Our sins are forgiven. And our sins are forgotten in the sense that they no longer bring down the wrath of God as a judge, but rather the painful spanking of a father. There's a difference. If a person is not a believer and they have never been justified, they will be judged by God as judge. If we're over here and the person is saved, you're going to be judged by God as a father not as one who is going to judge you and sentence you to hell. You're going to be judged by God, who is a father, and says, you know, you need a little discipline, you need a little correction. You could say you even need a little spanking so that you get in line, but you're not losing your salvation. You're not, so you have the two sides. It's very important to keep those in focus. A few examples from scripture where people you might say, and I don't say this jokingly, but they were spanked, is David with Bathsheba. He killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Nathan the prophet came in, and he had some pretty harsh words for David, and the repercussions of that were, well, we should say before the repercussions, David says, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan says, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. His sin was taken away, but the consequences of sin continued on. And there was two major consequences. The child that was born to Bathsheba and David died. And the second consequence was the sword shall never depart from your house. And he, he being David, had a mess with his kids for the rest of his life. He had an absolute train wreck because of his sin. So you can have forgiveness, but that does not mean the absence of consequences. One more, Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 14. Is, is Joshua, Caleb, and a bunch of the spies, they went in to the promised land for 40 days They scouted it out. They came back with the report. Remember, there was a good report and there was a bad report. And the people says, let's go back to Egypt. You know, why did did Moses bring us out here in the wilderness to die by the sword? And they says, let's elect somebody who's going to take us back. And then the long and short of it is the Lord says, I'm going to destroy all the people. I'm going to raise up a nation greater than this one. And Moses interceded for the people the people were forgiven but they had some punishment coming and the punishment was for every day the spies had spent scouting out the land which was 40 days it was 1 year for every day so the israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years matching the 40 days that the that the promised land was was spied upon so for 40 years, they could not go into the promised land. The Lord, uh, uh, in Numbers 14, it says, As I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, and surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land that I swore to their fathers. They were forgiven. But the consequences of their sin was that they would not see the promised land and anybody 20 years old and older died in the wilderness. Psalm 99 verse 8 says, O Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God though you punished their misdeeds. So yes, You can be forgiven to restore your relationship, so that you can have ongoing communion with God, but that does not mean you will not be punished for your misdeeds. There are three more things, and these were the focus of uh, our our message a year ago, is forgiveness is not a feeling, it's not forgetting, and it's not excusing. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on those. The first one is, is not a feeling. And you can, you can see that in Luke 17. It says, be on your guard if your brother sins. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. So the point of that, that Luke 17 passage is forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not like if your brother comes to you and says, hey, please forgive me, I did this. Is says, well, actually, I just don't feel like it. No. You are compelled to forgive him, even if he comes to you multiple times a day. And you can't say, like the disciples would say, well, I just need more faith, or I just need more information. No, it's not a feeling. It's not getting more information. It's not some other thing. Forgiveness is an act of the will. That's exactly what it is, is an act of the will. Forgiveness is also not... Forgetting. People say forgive and forget. Well, I'd like to know how you go about forgetting. Well, I can tell you how in one way. You don't snap your fingers and forget, but what you do is you use a little computer uh, terminology. You don't hit the refresh button, you don't bring it up so that it's clear in your mind again. Our memories, in some respects, it's a good thing, they start to fade. They just you just start to fade and things get in the background. And you don't resurrect it and bring it right to the foreground again. You let it go and let it be and eventually things fade and you forget. That is what's meant here. Is you don't refresh it. Even, even, even our Lord says in Isaiah that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I don't think it's in Isaiah, it's in Psalms. I think it's Psalm 103, somewhere in there. Don't check me on that. that could be wrong. <laughs> the third one is forgiveness is not excusing sin. It's not minimizing sin. It is looking at sin in an honest way and calling it what God calls it. And God called sin. Sin, In fact, he called it sin so much he was willing to send his son to die for it. So for us to just kind of excuse it or say, "Oh, okay, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Actually, it is a big deal. And you accept it as that and you call it what it is. So forgiveness is not, it's not a feeling. Like when I feel like it, I will forgive them. It's not forgetting and it's not excusing sin. And if you are an astute person looking at at, uh, outlines, you'll see that number five, what forgiveness is, is just like number three. What is forgiveness? I just transposed the words there. But I wanted to bring it up again to say, okay, we've looked at what forgiveness is. We've looked at what it is not. Now let's kind of look at it one more time. What is forgiveness? It is these few points. If you forgive somebody, you have made a promise that you will not dwell on the incident mentally. You'll not just rehearse it in your mind and dwell on it. You will not bring the incident up again to use against a person. You leave it alone. If you have truly forgiven somebody for something, you will not talk about it to other people. If you have truly forgiven somebody, you will not allow the incident to stand between you and the other person and hinder your relationship with them. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this hindering the relationship in a little bit, because it doesn't necessarily mean that all is well and everything's like it was before. Not necessarily. But if you're going to truly forgive somebody, you don't dwell on it. You don't use it against the person. You don't talk about it to other people, and you don't let it stand between you. And as I said earlier, forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not an act of the emotions. So why should we forgive? Well, I gave you two passages there, and both of the passages, uh, it is commanded by God that we forgive. He says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. So those two, those two passages certainly bring that out. The, the other reason we, we forgive is so that our sins will be forgiven. In the passage in Matthew where we talked about the Lord's Prayer, it says just, just a little bit after the, our verse today, it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins... Your father will not forgive your sins, so you can have a person that is unforgiving, and they they pray like crazy. And I go, guess what? Lord doesn't hear your prayers. If you harbor an unforgiving heart, Lord does not hear your prayers. It's, it's as simple as that. You have you got to have a clean heart before you can come come before your heavenly Father. So now we're gonna. I told you that we're going to address some things a little bit later on in the message and hold on to that. This is, this is the part where I'm going to bring it up. And what I'm bringing up is, how do you forgive an unrepentant person? They're not asking forgiveness. They're not repentant. In fact, they may think that they didn't do anything wrong. In fact, they may think that you're totally wrong, and I'm not wrong at all. So, how do you handle something like that? Well, biblically, the first thing that I would say is, to my knowledge, and I think I got a fairly good grasp on it, to my knowledge, nowhere in Scripture does it talk about forgiving an unrepentant person. That doesn't exist. You can't forgive somebody who doesn't, who is not repentant. Okay? They're not repentant. So, on the one hand... We need to be on our guard and be ready to forgive, but if a person's not asking to be forgiven, what do you do with that? Well, this is what I would suggest that you do. When a person who has wronged us does not repent with humility or with confession, or maybe it's with conversion, and conversion is turning from sin to righteousness. If they don't do that, he says he cuts off the full work of forgiveness. Now, we can lay down our will or our ill will. We can lay that down. We can hand over our anger to God. We can can seek to do that person good, but we cannot carry out reconciliation or intimacy. Because if you are going to be, if if a person is truly humble and they ask for forgiveness and you give them forgiveness, now we can have intimacy and reconciliation. If a person says, I'm not, I'm I'm unrepentant. I didn't do anything. You can lay down your ill will. You can do that. You can wish them good. You can do all that you can to hand that anger over to God. You can do that but your intimacy and your reconciliation is still going to be compromised because the full effect of forgiveness is reconciliation and intimacy. So you can only go so far, and I've used the expression, you probably remember me saying it. If a person is unrepentant, we as believers need to stand at what I call just stand at a line and say, I will do everything I can to forgive you. I am here. I am ready. I will forgive you at a moment's notice. But you have to come and want to be forgiven. I'll give it in a moment. I'll give it in an instant. And I've used the illustration where if you have an uncle, an aunt, a father, a mother, a friend, or somebody, and they have died, how do you forgive somebody like that? It's the same thing as an unrepentant person. It's not going to happen. You, it's that, it's had, having that attitude of being ready to forgive them. Should they have walked through the door, you'd forget them, forgive them in a moment. It's having the right attitude to want reconciliation and intimacy. But I want to bring one more little piece in this that I think clarifies some things. Thomas Watson also said something else that was very jolting is we like to be in Christian circles and we say, oh yes, it'll be reconciliation, it'll be intimacy, it'll be wonderful, they just repent and I'll forgive and everything will come up roses. Not necessarily. This is a comment that he makes. We are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. Say, Whoa, what do you mean by that? Well, you can actually look someone in the face and you can say, I forgive you, but I don't trust you say, well, how could you possibly do that? That doesn't sound like forgiveness to me. Sure it is. You can forgive somebody. If you have a person that's a drunk, you say, I forgive you for the exhibition that you gave. I forgive you for what you did, but I don't trust you for a moment. You're probably going to go out and get drunk again. That's just discernment. You can say, I forgive you, but I'm not going to trust you because I still think you're going to abuse him or her or them or whomever, and I don't want them around you because I think it's going to happen. I can forgive you, but I still don't trust you regarding your irresponsible behavior or that you're going to be a thief and continue to be a thief, or you're a liar. I don't trust you. I forgive you for lying to me, but I don't trust you because you're, you have shown a habit of lying, and I don't trust you. Those two are not mutually exclusive. You can forgive somebody, but you don't trust them. You don't trust them if, you're go- if they're going to be lazy. They just don't work. You say, yeah, I forgive you for this, but that doesn't mean that I'm just going to overlook this. But here is a real critical part of all of this discussion. is I have mentioned, that forgiveness is not the absence of anger. Forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. And I, that is true. But I'm treading a very fine line because as depraved people, as sinners, this is what happens. Is our heart gets out of balance. I want to read this a little bit. It says, What would make an unforgiving thing to say? What would make that an unforgiving thing to say is if you were thinking, I don't ever want to have my anger squelched. I want to be angry. I just like that. I've forgiven him, but I'm going to be really ticked. That's where the heart comes in. And it's crucial to look at the heart. I don't care about ever trusting you again. I won't accept any of your efforts to try to establish trust again. In fact, I hope nobody ever trusts you again and I don't care if your life is totally ruined. That is not a forgiving spirit. So on the one hand, I will say, yes, forgiveness is not the absence of anger unless it's out of balance and you really want them to pay. But you're trying to be righteous and say, well, hey, the pastor said, Forgiveness is not the absence of anger. No, you're indulging in anger and your heart is wrong. You can say, I hope their life is ruined, but I've forgiven them. No. No, your heart is out of balance and you need to to change it. So why should we change it? Because God says so. And if you want your prayers to be heard, I'm going to read a little portion out of Matthew 18. It's kind of instructive on how I want to conclude this morning. And you'll all remember this particular parable. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to settle the accounts, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents within, for the for the illustrative purposes is a vast amount of money that he would never be able to pay back. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be a few dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is what my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And the key there is from your heart. Ephesians, or Paul talks in Ephesians, forgive each other just as the Lord in Christ also forgave you. If we withhold, withhold forgiveness, grace, and mercy from people in our horizontal relationship, and those that are horizontally out there, God will withhold the same in our, in our vertical relationship with him. It isn't about our eternal salvation and right standing with God before the court of heaven. It refers to our day-to-day fellowship and communion with him. And I think I can say this rightly with every single one of you that are here, is you have had communion last week or you have had it in this church before. And we used to, before COVID, we have it up here and we passed around the elements, and if you have taken communion, then you realize that that is symbolic of Christ dying for our sins and being able and willing to forgive us of our sins. So if you have taken in communion, you know that that is Christ offering His body to forgive us. In the same manner, we should forgive those who are asking for forgiveness, and do it without hesitation and have a right attitude before God. I, am, I usually like to bring things like, where does the rubber beat the road on this? This church went through an upheaval coming upon two years ago. What does that look like in your heart with the people who are no longer here? What does it look in my heart on the churches that I have been to and people that I feel have wronged me and there's people that you think have wronged you? How are you handling that? Is, that? is that? If you see a person, do you walk to the other side of the street? Well, I don't want to talk to them. No, if they want to walk the other side of the street, that's entirely up to them. But how is it in, in your heart and in your mind? How do you handle that? How do I handle that? And this is a good passage to say, you know what? You may have been wrong. Absolutely. This church, we'll just say it may you've been wrong that's true but our attitude needs to be right why because the blessing of God will not rest on this church if our attitude is not right it's just as simple as that so we need to keep reexamining our heart where do I stand on this how am I viewing this I need to have it right before the throne of grace why because God commands it and we want our prayers to be heard and if we come before the communion table, we are experiencing God's forgiveness, probably with sins that are far worse than what people have done to you and I. Probably. So I thank God for how he has blessed this congregation, and how we, we are going along and we have unity, we have love in this church, and that is a wonderful thing. So, pray with me as we, as we close. Worship team, come on up as we, as we end the service. Father, we thank you that you, in your wisdom and your grace, that you have forgiven us. And boy, I tell you what, our sins are vast. And if there is such a thing as a bad sin or a good sin, sin, I think we have a lot of bad sins around here. And you have willingly and eagerly forgiven us of our sins. And may we have that attitude with those that we live with, that those that we come in contact with, and Father, we would be eager to forgive them of their sins and have that reconciliation and intimacy restored in that relationship. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for another beautiful day. We ask that your name would be lifted up and praised in Christ's name.